0: Father, this morning we come to you. This morning, Lord, once again, we want to magnify your word. For it is written, Lord, you have magnified your word above all your name. All your name. We magnify, Lord, your word. I magnify your word. Heaven and earth will pass away. Not a dot from your word. Your word is forever established in the heavens. And in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word is God. And that word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the Father in him full of grace, and full of truth. I pray, Father, that you would take over, even as I minister the word, in the word they would see the glory of the Father, full of grace, and full of truth. Thank you, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen, Amen, Amen. 31st night we saw the promise to turn, God is saying turn and he will revive, life comes from him he will revive and he will pour out his life. In the worst time in Israel's history where you had a couple ruling over the land called Ahab and Jezebel two examples of evil ruling over the land. And you would expect how can something good come under their reign. And you would read and see, okay, all these things happen on Mount Carmel. What, what happened after that? You will realize Elisha rose out of that turning. Unknown to anybody there was a young man in Shephat or the son of Shafat, right? His name was Elisha. Okay, And he rose out of that revival. And all the days he was alive, you need, you need to know the word of God prevailed over Israel when kings were afraid of him. Okay, So, how these things happen, we do not know. But it will happen. Later in retrospect, we will realize, oh, God actually did, the only thing I didn't understand. So if you were there yesterday or if you listened yesterday with the pastors who came, New Year, today is the 15th, it's still not over. 15 days, it's a good day. Every day is a good day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice in it. With God, every day is a day of hope. We go to Joshua chapter 1. I'll try to quickly recap what we looked at yesterday. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Okay, Begins with this emphatic statement. What is the statement? Moses is dead. Remember what I said yesterday where Charles Wesley and John Wesley are buried in Westminster? It is written over there, God buries his workmen. God's work continues. Okay? God's work never ceases. His workmen will be buried. If the Lord tarries to come one day, if you are still around, you have to bury me. Okay? Don't me leave, don't leave me outside, okay? (laughs) His workmen will be buried. I too will be buried. But that doesn't mean I am dead. I'll be watching from heaven who all came for my (laughs) funeral. so don't miss my funeral because when you have come up there i'll catch you okay god's workmen will be buried that's the fact of life unless he comes okay only two men were not buried and that was elijah and Enoch before him and Elijah so the bible says two witnesses will come and they also will die they won't be buried they won't be buried their bodies will lie on the streets of jerusalem for 3 days and they will rise back okay they are the only two ones who will not ready be buried nor will their bodies see decomposition but they will rise back okay but i am not one of them so make sure you bury me <laughs> If you don't bury me, I'm telling you, you won't like your pastor after that. <laughs> so now that you're all lighthearted, Moses is dead. There's a finality to that. Moses is dead. But Joshua is alive. So many applications to that. John 1.17 says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you see the old versions of KJV, you will see the word Joshua there is Jesus. or Jesus is Joshua, the Joshua, same same word. Okay, In Hebrew it is Yeshua, Joshua is Yeshua, and Jesus is also Yeshua. So you need to realize, the law is dead. Grace and truth is alive. When Moses died, he should die in your life. The law has to die. Okay. If law does not die in your life, the only thing the law brings is death. Jesus came. And Jesus never dies, he's alive forevermore. What did he bring? He brought grace and truth. These are pictures in the Bible which have spiritual applications. Moses is the lawgiver. Okay, so when he went into Egypt, he turned water into blood. When Jesus came, he turned water into wine. Applications. Okay, when Moses came down the mountain with the law, that day in the camp, three thousand men died. When the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and he preached Jesus. 3,000 men were saved. Doesn't work the same way. Okay? So let the law, it's as if it hasn't died so far, let it die today. Let it die today. Let the law die today. Otherwise you will never love. You will never love. Because you need to understand the nature of the law. The nature of the law is this. 1 Corinthians 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through Moses. No, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord. He gives us victory. Every day he gives us victory. There are three things here. It begins with the law. The law. The law leads to sin. Sin sin leads to death. That's the way it operates. There is no law, there is no sin. It all began in Genesis 2.16 when God said, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. That was the law. That was the law. When they broke that law, sin came. The end of sin is death. Adam died, Eve died, In Adam, we all died. Then, thousands of years later, the Mosaic law came. So people fall under two laws. Either they fall under Genesis 2.17, or they fall under the Mosaic law. That's the way people work. See, how do we make our decisions, either based on good or evil, or the Mosaic law? But the result of both is, you will die. Eternally. Not just temporarily. You will die eternally. You will die. Even if you are making your choices on good and evil, you will die. Because we do not have the capacity to know what is good and what is evil. We do not have that understanding. It's as simple as that. We do not have that insight. We don't have it. What we think good will be bad. And what we judge as bad Then later, we have this simple, lots of examples, okay, whether this was in a train or a plane, a father with two kids traveling, let's say it was an aircraft, and the father is head bent down in deep thought. The kids are jumping and up and down. And there is this conversation going on. What's wrong with this man? Why doesn't he control these children? All this going on. But he's not hearing. Then finally somebody shakes him and says, What's wrong with you? How, how come your children are so unruly? Why don't you control them? And then he realizes he gets up and he apologizes and says, I'm very sorry. Their mother died. The body is in the cargo. And we are taking her body, home. These children have never lived one day without their mother. Immediately everybody's words, attitude changed. Because they made a judgment based on what is good and evil. And they were absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. That's why what came with Jesus is truth. It's truth. And truth is always true. And we don't know the truth. We don't know the truth. We don't know the truth of actually anything. Unless God shows it. Even when God shows it, we will never know the whole truth. Because we do not have the capacity to know the whole truth. That's why the Bible says, we see in part. We prophesy in part. I should say, we also understand in part. It is impossible for the human mind to really conceive what is true about anything. It's not possible. Yet, that is what sets free. Law doesn't set you free. Only truth sets you free. So when Jesus came, how did he come? He came with grace and truth. Grace is the power of God. There's no point telling truth, 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 because we don't have the power to keep it. Okay, that's what we said when I'm weak. Okay. If you really, really want to know the weak, know and understand and become weak, ask God to reveal the truth. Especially the truth about yourself. Then you will know what weakness is. Because God is truth. So to really understand the truth of myself, you always have to see yourself in the light of who God is. That's why even the prophet said, I'm a man of unclean lips. That was the truth. Every one of them, when they had an encounter with truth, they also realized how untrue you are. That's when you become weak. Then, if you allow him, not automatically, he will become your strength. That's how it works. So this is it. There is a law, there is sin, there is death. Cannot escape it. It's like gravity. Cannot escape it. If you have to escape it, you need a power that defies gravity or overcomes gravity. Simple, my basic science. Okay. That's what Jesus brings into our life. So let us see how he deals with it, and then we'll go to the meat of the word. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. For comfort, please this. Even this, we will not know. So many of good people sitting here, your issue is not that you are not doing right, but his time hasn't come. You will say, Lord, what more should I do? God says, nothing, (laughs) just wait. What more should I do? I have fasted, I have prayed, I have obeyed, but nothing. In the fullness of the time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So He had to be born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons, daughters. Then 2 Corinthians 5.21 law. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Okay, so he was born under the law. He became sin for us on the cross. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. In the Bible, when you read about Jesus Christ, always put a circle here. Everything is in him. In him. The law sin. Now there is death. There is death. Okay? So, before we go to death, let us see what happened on the cross. Colossians 2, 14-15. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You know what he did? He took the law and nailed it to the cross. He took the sin that comes out of the, and he bore it upon himself. Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The disarming of the devil, powers of darkness. You need to understand, how does Jesus actually disarm the devil in your life? See, imagine Genesis 2.17 isn't there. Genesis 2.17 isn't there. What does Genesis 2.17 say? If you eat from the, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat, you shall surely It is not there. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, the devil comes and how does he tempt them? There is no law. There is no law. Are you getting the picture? What did he take? He took the law and nailed it upon the cross. And he bore our sin upon himself. So when the law is taken away, if you will try to live under the law, he will come and catch you. So when he comes and tells you something, you have to ask him, which law are you quoting from? Which are you quoting from? Because I don't know what you are talking about. I don't know what you are talking about. It is not that we became lawless. But it was replaced by something else. Completely something else to which he has no answer. Okay? So law is there. Sin is there. Both taken care of on the cross. And then Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. Law, sin, death. What did he do? He tasted death for everyone. So he took that also. He kept the law for everyone. He took everyone's sin upon himself. And he tasted death for everyone. So if you are in Christ, he's kept the law for everyone. If you are in Christ, he took your sin. If you are in Christ, he took your death. So if you go to verse 14 and 15, it's powerful. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This is the first fear you have to handle. It has been, t- death has been taken out of the, out of the way. But almost every fear, it's rooted in death. Every fear is rooted in death. You have to deal with that. You have to deal with that. Because that's bondage. So first think on these things. These things don't automatically happen. It has to go deep down. Then only we will understand. So deal with these things. Really seriously deal with these things. How did God deal with these things? For those who are in Christ, I didn't give it, but let's don't get ahead of the subject. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2. Now there is therefore now. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There are two ways, let's go, uh, go to one. There are two ways in which you can walk. The flesh means your old nature, our soul, old nature, our soul, old nature. But according to the spirit, that should become our new nature. Why? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me from the law of sin. And you see all the three words come over there? Law, sin, death, in the right order. So there are two laws. This law has been overruled by this law. The law of the spirit of life. That is the law we have to learn. We will struggle for a long time, long, long, long time we will struggle flipping between these two laws. Okay, and when you have this laws struggling is what you call in an aircraft called turbulence. Fasten your seat belt. Why? Because gravity is starting to work. You're being pulled down by one law. So you need to realize the most important part of a believer's daily life. Is to enter into his rest. Not what, not what happens before or after. The most important part. Enter into his rest. The most important part. Every day enter into his rest. And the Bible says that's the most laborious part. Labor to enter into his rest. So get this picture. We'll come back. We'll come back there. So looking at Joshua, God is speaking to Joshua, who is a type, a shadow of Christ and the Christian and him. A type, a shadow. God is telling him, You have to deal with certain things. You have to deal with certain things. Otherwise, everything is there before you. You are not going to go anywhere. You are not going to go anywhere. You have to deal with certain things. We'll also have to deal with certain things. The life of Christ is there, which is the, our promised life. We have to possess it. There's a battle every day to possess it. But there are certain things we need to be prepared every day and there are certain battles we will have to fight. And the more we learn it, the more his life we will possess and it is a life of rest. And from that rest, God says, only he can work. We can work when we are restless, but that work is never counted. God can work in through us only when we are at rest. And eternity, only those works will be counted. That's why the Bible says your works will go through the fire. Will okay. go through the fire. So this morning we'll turn first to because so much of it was taught yesterday. And you will hear those Telugu speaking brethren can hear it on double barrels. You will understand it better, English and Telugu. We go to Joshua eight. The secret... Behind everything, God says is this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, you will have good success. Okay? So the first thing is this word, meditate. Second thing is this word from your mouth. The third thing is there, to do. Like I said yesterday, we don't want to use the word meditate in India because meditation is what our people have been doing for 6,000 years and haven't reached anywhere beyond the Himalayas. So we will not use meditation. We will use the word simple called think. Think. Okay, think. Because meditation is what everybody does. Every religion meditates. Meditation is there in every religion. So, meditation is not the whole thing. What are you meditating on is what is important. It's not what is important, it's not meditation. Hinduism has meditation. Buddhism has meditation. Jainism has meditation. Basically, the foundation of all, the core of all these religions, the Eastern mysticism, mysticism is meditation. And if you ask a devout Hindu, he says, I'm not worshipping the idol. The idol is there just for me to focus to meditate. Actually, that's what they say. We are not laughing at them. These are all genuine efforts of human beings to connect to God. But the simple thing is, you cannot connect to God unless God connects to you. Okay? So they give you practical things and all to focus on in meditation. They will, the guru will tell you to focus on the tip of your nose. Now, you may laugh at it because you have the knowledge of the living God, but if you were a Hindu, you will do everything because he is trying to connect and trying to get out of his karma because he has been taught this is what will happen to you otherwise. Now, there what they believe in may be wrong, but he doesn't know what is wrong and in the cycle of rebirth, he doesn't want to come back as a cockroach on which you will stamp. So, you need to, I mean, honestly, I am telling you, India is not an atheistic country. It's a religious country. So the harvest is ripe. It's more difficult to preach in the West than in this country. It's very, very, very easy to actually, to those who are searching, if you have the wisdom of God and the gentleness and the time, and you go through it, it's not very difficult. Very difficult to minister to them because they are open. They are open. I have people sitting here in my church over here whose parents were uh, were Hindus. And it is a daughter. And a father, Hindu father was the only daughter. Or, or his daughter is the only Christian in the whole family. And the father accepted that. And I remember him coming to my office one day and he said, Sir, in our religion, we follow our Guru. My daughter says she is a Christian. And she says she is baptized. I don't understand any of this thing. But in my sight, you are her guru. You find a boy for her according to your faith. Conduct the wedding the way you want. I am there with you. I will do the rest. Now he tell me, do you find Christians like that? So understand, to be a religious is not a bad thing. To be an atheist is what is dangerous. Okay, So you need to understand, everybody has meditation over there. The issue is not with meditation. The issue is, what are you meditating on? Is the issue. Because everybody sitting here meditates. You meditate on sports and movies and worry and anxiety. All this is meditation. It is impossible for you not to think. Everybody meditates. But God says, this is what you shall meditate on. This is what you shall meditate on. The book of the law. Okay. This is what you have to meditate on. Think on. Now when you come to the new covenant, the book of the law changes. It changes. It becomes the word of God, which becomes truth. And God says, meditate upon my word. Learn to think as I think. It's as simple. The promised land which we have to conquer is nowhere outside. It is inside. It is my soul, my old man. That is where the battle is taking place. And in that soul, there is something called your mind with which we think. God says that is where you have to fight your battles. He says, if you win that battle here, then it doesn't matter what is outside. The devil, the world, the antichrist, it doesn't bother you. You will win. But if you lose here, it doesn't matter even if King Jesus is ruling in the land. You will lose. Otherwise, after 1000 years, when the Satan is released for a little time, how come he is able to take all these people against Jesus? Because your soul never changed. And you are living under the most peaceful, prosperous reign ever. You didn't change your thinking. You didn't change your thinking. So understand, the real battle is here. The real battle is here. This is where we have to fight our battles. And that's where the Bible says, Christ comes with the truth. And truth is not easy. Truth is very difficult for the old man to receive. Very difficult for the old man to receive. So, God has taken care of the law, sin, and death. And the cross took care of it all. In Romans 6, verses 3 to 8, sometimes it is good to go back. Do you not know that as many of us were baptized? Remember this word, baptized. What is baptism? This is your personal crucifixion. That is when you identified with the crucifixion. Baptized into Christ Jesus were actually baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so also we should walk in the newness of your life. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. That's what baptism is. Now, if you go to verse 10 and then verse 11. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. And the next verse is important. Likewise, you also Reckon. Reckon is an old English word. You don't actually use it today. But do you know what the word reckon means? Think. Count. Think. Every day wake up and think. You yourself to be dead. To sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it all begins with that. All begins with that. You also he's saying, "You know what? These are all facts. This is truth. You cannot change. This is what happened. You cannot change this. This is the truth. This is what happened on the cross. Now, every day, all those who have been baptized, you should reckon yourself, think. See, if you think, whatever you are thinking right now, thinking automatically doesn't come out of a vacuum. You must have heard or seen something. Whatever you think on is something that has come from a secondary source. So God says, this is what you have heard. This is the truth that happened 2,000 years ago. So reckon yourself dead. Reckon yourself dead. Dead to sin, dead to law, dead to sin, dead to death. It's Very powerful if you can think that way each day. I'm dead to the law, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to death. Death won't scare me anymore. I won't be afraid of death anymore. I won't be afraid of death or everything else that leads to death. I won't be afraid of sickness because the end of sickness is death. You won't be afraid of pestilence. You won't be afraid of earthquakes. You won't be afraid of famine. You won't be afraid of the sword. You won't be afraid of the fire because the end of all these things that is prophesied is death because you are not afraid of death. Therefore you are not afraid of all these things. Why? Reckon yourself. Consider yourself. Think yourself. You have to change the way we think. That's where it all happens. Okay? So where did all this happen? On the cross. And how did you identify with the cross? In the waters of baptism. In the waters of baptism. So on the cross something happened. What happened? You died to the law. Or law died for you. And you died to the law. And you died to the world. Two things, okay. Galatians six fourteen. For God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. This is a man who understood. See, God has his son, but his son lived perfect from beginning till the end and this thing. So God needs another example like us, who was born in sin, shaped in iniquity, but who understood the life of Christ and allowed life to Christ to live through him. So he needs a paradigm. And he looked among all the apostles around and he found only Saul. This is a man who understood it. Saul is in so many ways, uh, not in terms, but in so many ways. He's a man after God's own heart. He's David of the new covenant. And without David's failings. But he's a man after God's own heart. So in Galatians 2.20, this is what he will say. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live; Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, meaning in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, you know what, there is no disagreement between me and him. I live in him, he lives in me. It's one life. And I live it by the faith of God. Like I said, in the new covenant, faith means something completely different. Saving faith is completely different. That is where it all begins. So God but, says to you, here, faith comes from? hearing. Put Pull it Though there is a comma in the original text for us, full we'll stop. Because every faith came from hearing, including fear, which is negative faith. Everything comes by hearing. If you haven't heard, you haven't, you don't know what it is. And you will have no faith for it. If faith has to come, hearing has to be there. Faith comes from hearing. But faith in God, or the faith of God, faith in God <coughs> is what comes first. After that, you need the faith of God. Faith in God is, you heard something. So there is Israel in Jesus' time, all waiting for the Messiah. They heard about the Messiah, the son of David. They don't understand the suffering Messiah, but they understand the Messiah. Messiah is coming. And they've heard read Isaiah, it's been read over and over and over and over and over and read in this from the scrolls in their synagogues and misinterpreted by the scribes, but they have heard it. And they have heard that when he comes, he will take our infirmities and sicknesses upon himself. Son of David is a mercy. All these things I've heard the lame will walk, the deaf will hear. It's all written in the book of Isaiah. That's why when Jesus uh, uh, when John the Baptist sent his disciples from prison to Jesus, are you the Messiah? He said, What is written? Why is he questioning? Why is he questioning? Where is his faith coming from? He pointed me out, but in his situation has changed, He's starting to doubt. Tell him to go back to what is written about me. Whether it is happening. Okay. So when they heard about Jesus, everywhere you will hear, they heard about Jesus. What are they hearing? Is this the Messiah? Or the Gentiles hear about his power. Like the Gentiles in our country, simple people, they hear. The only thing they hear is, Jesus heals. Even today, In Pakistan, in any of the cities, if the government gives the freedom to hold a healing crusade, tens and lakhs will come. They will pack the stadiums because they know Isa heals. And the problem is everybody needs healing. Everybody has one sickness or other. They all know Jesus heals. So the Roman centurion hears the power of Jesus to heal. The Canaanite woman hears the power of Jesus to heal. All the sick in Israel who are Israelites here. so their address is different. The Israelites will come, Sir Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And each one when they are crying, they are saying, we have faith in you. And Jesus says, great is your faith. Well, let it be according to your faith and you will realize everyone is healed. That does not mean the woman with issue of blood for 12 years or the blind men who followed Jesus and got healed or any of the others are saved. It only means they have experienced the power of God. The Power of God. The saving faith, the faith, if you go to Ephesians 2.8, by grace we are saved through faith. That is a different thing. In nature, that power that saves you is the same, but what it does in you is not the same. What it does in you is not the same. When you are saved, something absolutely, totally, supernaturally happens. Because healing can happen anywhere. Healing is just a physical bodily manifestation of a malfunction in your system. Doctors can heal you which doctors can heal you, anybody can heal you, Christ also heals. But for Christ, that is not who you are. It's just a sign pointing you to something which nobody else can do because our we are first touched by the infirmity of our bodies. (coughs) That's where we are first touched, very conscious about it. So God touches us there and says this is just a sign. That's why in the Gospel according to John, his miracles are called Signs. This was the first of his signs he displayed at Kana and his disciples believed in it. Like I said, there are signs in the Gospels which are private and which are public. And you will see these are only signs signifying to something greater and deeper, which is our salvation. So the faith that saves, the evidence of that faith is in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What is the proof of your salvation? The spirit of God that is in you. There is no other evidence. You can have all the other things. Without this, you are unsaved. You have this, and you are born again. You have no other evidence. You are still saved. It's like a small baby that is being carried over there. The evidence, the baby cannot do anything an older child, a teenager, or an adult can do. But it is a baby. You will never deny it is a baby. The proof of the pudding is the Holy Spirit. That is the proof. The evidence is not doctrines are important, but it is not that you know the doctrine. The importance or the proof is a person. That's why the doctrines in the New Covenant are called the doctrine of Christ, the person. Doctrine of Christ, the person. So in Romans 8, Verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Something happened, no? Before the Holy Spirit came in, we were slaves. We were slaves. What we had was the spirit of bondage. And there was always fear. Always fear. But what happens is when we... We received the spirit of adoption. The first thing we cry out deep inside is, Father. Father. (coughs) That is the security that he brings. That takes away the fear. I mean, that's why he said, you're all sitting here as adults, so you will not understand it. You have to go to the back and see the children. You need to realize, as long as the father is with that little child, the child is not afraid of anything. Not afraid of anything. Even if there is a lion standing on the street, the f- child will just go to the back of the father and stand there and peep between the legs and see what's happening. It's not afraid. Because they have all become adults, in the spiritual realm, nothing has changed. From your birth to your gray heads is the father who carries you. The only thing that will take your fear. Is knowing God as your father, and that's why Jesus came. He said, I just didn't come to save you, I came here to take you to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can go to the Father, but you will never understand the Father. So the Father became me, but I became the Father. So his name, according to Isaiah, is everlasting Father. So when the disciples say, Show us the Father, he says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That is why around the world there is constant attack on fatherhood. The spirit himself bears witness with our not your soul, not your mind, not your mind, not your soul. Your mind may tell you contradictory things because the enemy can saturate, bombard, mind with contrary things, but deep inside your spirit, listen. The Holy Spirit will tell in your spirit. Most of the things this dude is telling about you is true, but that does not make you unmake you from being my child. You're still my child. You don't have to listen to what he saying. You're my child. Learn to hear from the Spirit of God for fear to go In the Bible, like we said yesterday, there are these words called faith and belief interchangeably used, but not today. That's not how the meaning has changed. When you say, I believe Jesus is the Savior, you're only agreeing to a fact. But merely by agreeing to a fact does not save me. You have in India you have, especially in US, because US US is a very large country, especially in US, there are people, if you ask them, they will give you all the facts of an aeroplane, better than you. And they will give you statistics also, of all modes of transport, the least with accidents is an aeroplane, everything they will tell you. Then you ask them, have you ever flown? They will say no. And you ask them why, they say we are afraid. So the thing is that, they believe in airplanes, but they don't trust it. A lot of people, when they say they believe in Jesus, they have a whole repertoire of facts, but they have not trusted Him. They have not trusted Him. They have not trusted Him. Salvation is when you trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. That's what it means. Repentance from dead works. Not good works and bad works. Dead works. And you trust Him and faith towards God. These two things must take place kind of almost simultaneously. You can repent from dead works and you are still dead because you have not put your faith in Christ. You have not trusted God. You have not trusted Christ. It is one time. Your repentance and trust in God is one time for salvation. And after that, it is a continuous journey. As the spirit from inside. As you hear the outward witness by reading or hearing the outward witness of the word happens, the spirit who has come inside, which is the evidence of your salvation, starts speaking to you by saying, this is true, this is false. And you turn and you turn and you keep turning. So repentance and faith will be continuous in your life because we are changing. In its simplicity, repentance means change of mind. Because what is God trying to do? He's trying to save your soul. He's trying to save your soul. If you turn with me to First Peter, chapter 1, verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. <coughs> What? Greatly rejoice for what? Though now for a little while, that is in human life on earth, if you need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You have, I mean this looks a contradiction, yeah? You have been grieved by various trials, now you greatly rejoice. But why? Why should I? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God says, you know what? You need to understand, he says, you know what? There is something called saving faith. Saving faith is when the Spirit of God comes in. So the most important thing is the faith that caused all this to happen. Your faith has to be tested so that you know you are actually saved. So, the life of a child of God will be full of trials. The trials are such that if you try to overcome with any other means, they are tailor-made for you to fail. Because you will only overcome by faith. That is what we sang. When I am weak, then I am strong. What makes you weak? Your trials. Your old nature knows 1500 ways how to deal with this trial before. But now after being saved you try it all you realize you reach a dead end. You are not able to overcome. God says. You are trying everything except faith. You will not. You will not succeed. I have that is your default setting. You will fail. You taught me you can do nothing. Still, we won't give up. We will keep on, like like the old philosopher said, "We are madmen who keep on trying the same old things, expecting a different result." It's not going to happen. So your faith has to be tested. It has to be proven. Why? When the revelation of Jesus Christ takes place, it should be to His glory and praise. So the problem is with my soul. The Spirit of God, when you are saved, when I was saved, the Spirit of God came in and the Spirit of God resides in my spirit and he tells my spirit, you are my son. My soul, I don't feel at all like the son of God. I don't even want to think like a child of God. I don't want to act like a child of God. Think, talk, because you always, your real personality is your soul. That is your personality with which you function. So the promised land is the promised life. But the promised life has to come into the soul. And the battle is there constantly with the soul. So if you go to First Peter and verse 9. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Where is this person? It's inside you, in the spirit. Receiving the end of your faith. What is that? The salvation of your soul. Faith unto faith unto faith unto faith. At the end of this journey, what is happening? Your entire soul should be conquered entire soul. It's a promised land. When that happens, you have rest. So the Bible says after so many years of war, God gave Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua was only a type. But God gave Israel, that was their physical enemies. Then the writer of Hebrews says, if God gave them rest through Joshua, he would not have spoken of another day. So that was just a type. The real thing is through Christ. Understand salvation, otherwise we will not understand what we are going through. Where are these trials coming from? God says, tailor-made for you. You are not going to escape this. Okay. So there we are. Romans 8, 9. Got it? You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, when you look at the word flesh, you need to understand it is the old man, which is the soul. The body is the same. The spirit and the soul is in the same body. You are not in the flesh, but in the... Mark that, okay? S is capital, spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his even if you have memorized the entire Bible. Never miss Sunday service. Regularly fast and pray. And give your tithes. If you do not have the spirit of Christ. You are not. is Proof. The spirit of Christ. So you have. The spirit. You have the spirit of God. And the spirit of Christ. The three are the same. In nature. All three are spirits except Jesus now with the body. Before he came in the body, Jesus was a spirit. The son was a spirit. The father was a spirit. The spirit was a spirit. What is common about is their nature. The spirit is the same. And that spirit is the one that came and resided with us in our spirit. And who is that? That is the spirit of Christ. That is why Jesus said, when I go, I will send somebody just... The world won't understand him, but he will be in you and with you forever. You can't escape him. Even in eternity, he will be in you and be with you. And then he said something. I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. The day he comes in is the last day of your orphanage. That is the day you are kicked out of the orphanage. Go. Adopted into God's family. Abba, Father. Understand, this is how it works. They are all very, very comforting. True comfort. Comfort should be true. It has to be true. And that comfort doesn't come from doctrine. Comfort from the person of that doctrine. So God did not give us doctrine. Because religion only gives you doctrine. And you beat your head against the wall. And you don't know what you deserve. You'd never. I mean, if you, if, if, if dipping in a river, whether it's Godavari or Ganges, could cleanse you, how many times do you have to dip yourself? If going to Mecca makes you righteous, how many times do you have to go? If going to Rome or Jerusalem makes you feel like a Christian, how many times? None of these things is going to change what is inside. But when the person comes. The person comes. Remember what Jesus told the Samaritan woman? It's a statement to all religion. Your people worship what you don't know. (laughs) You don't know what you know. You don't know what, what you worship. And that's why when Paul went to Athens, there is a statue saying to the unknown God. So he got it. That's a good text to preach from. He said, look, you have written here, listen to me. I will reveal to you who this unknown God is. Because he's known to me. So in John 14 and verse 6, John 14 verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. It's a very powerful verse for me, not only because of the entire content, because what happened just before the COVID had taken place, I think I've shared here before. I had gone to another state. The previous year I had gone to another state, same state. And had been called to preach for the 50th anniversary of one of the large churches over there, and the, it was in Nepali. And then the final day evening service, it was in, is in English. So final day English, it's a special service. I spoke in English, and so many other people also was there. And among them was a very old senior pastor. I finished praying. This I didn't even know who. It, I'm finished this thing. The old pastor came to me and said, uh, "Next year, same time." My church has a convention. The Spirit of God is telling me to call you. Will you come? I said. I will come. If I am free, I will come. I didn't know that was the largest church in the state with hundreds of churches. And it was a huge convention. So I go there for, there for a three-day convention and I am still not sure what to preach. You don't go for a convention where there are going to be hundreds and hundreds of pastors and elders and all without knowing what to preach. Right? But You know all your text, but you don't know what to preach. Because there is somebody inside you who tells you what to preach. Because this is not my congregation, this is his congregation. I don't know anything and God's congregation. So on the first day seminar of the convention for the pastors, when I enter through the door and I get in and they garland me and all that and I sit in the front row while worship is going on, this is written on the front and God said, for the next three days, you shall preach on this.
1: Okay, so you need to realize
0: that's a real person. Yesterday, when we were leaving, there's a pastor who came and said, I came to this pastor's conference two years ago. You know why I came? He said, when I was praying in the spirit, of the Lord showed me the glory over your church and told me to come here. That's how I came. There is a real Spirit of God who speaks to you. You know, if He speaks to you, suddenly your fear goes. Your fear goes. You have a need, you don't know how to pay your fees and everything. Call a certain memo and you come home and Father says, Don't worry. All your fears are gone. All your fears are gone. Just one word. Don't worry. Don't fear about it. How many times has God said the same thing? Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be anxious, don't worry. We read that, but we don't realize who is saying this. Because we read it, but we are not able to hear the same words from our spirit echoing. Don't fear, I am the one who said it, I am the one who is telling it now. I haven't changed. Fear not. So Jesus comes here and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So the Spirit of God comes in. It is the Spirit of Christ in us. Galatians 5:16. I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Suddenly you realize the Spirit becomes the way. The spirit becomes the way. He shows you the way. He himself is the way. So the Bible says, live in the spirit, walk in the spirit. Because when you are walking in the spirit, God is saying, you cannot go wrong. Because that's the way to the Father. That's the way to the truth. 1 John 5, 6. This is who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who bears witness, because the spirit... Spirit? Spirit is truth. The Spirit is truth. So I am the way, the Spirit is the way. I am the truth, the Spirit of Christ in me is the truth. He is the truth. And Romans 8.10 If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But Spirit is, Spirit is life. Do we understand practically how that statement, proclamation of Jesus, I am the way, the truth and the life, works in all his children? He says, I have put my spirit in you. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So listen to him. Listen to him. Don't grieve him. Don't lie to him. Don't quench him. All the warnings in the new covenant are given about the Holy Spirit. No, it's not so much about the Father or the Son. It's about the Holy Spirit. So when they start saying Jesus is doing what the power of Bill Beelzebub, he said, you know what? You sin against the Father or the Son, it will be forgiven. But you sin against the Holy Spirit. You blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. You won't be forgiven here or in the other place. Because why? He is the way. He is the truth. He's the life. What if he gets upset and he leaves? And where will you find your way? Now, don't get scared when you hear all that, okay? Because these are all extreme cases. You're all his children. Don't panic, okay? So we need to understand the difference of life in the old covenant and the new covenant. Old covenant, 17, seventeen eleven. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you. Upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. In the old covenant, life was in the blood. So what was given was blood. Once it was given, tens and thousands and thousands and millions and billions of animals had to die. In every religion, they knew blood had to be offered. To the right God or the wrong God, blood was required because life was in the blood. So when you go into occult and extreme forms, because they demonically understand life is in the blood, they drink blood. To receive more strength and power. In every occult, there is drinking of blood. Understand life is in the blood. But then there is the blood of God's own son. Hebrews 12, 24 says, No. Yeah, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. 10.14, if I am right, will say, by one offering, he made everyone perfect. Perfect forever. Those who are being, where are you being sanctified? In your soul. In your spirit, made perfect. Why? The blood has taken care of it all. We need to understand actually how it works. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In the flesh, you are dead because of sin. In the spirit, you are alive. But we live in the flesh. We vacillate between these two. So when you live the soul life, when you sin, and when you go to God, and when you confess, what is that is cleansing you? It is the blood of Jesus. It is the blood that is speaking for you. So you need to realize the, the blood is connected with the old life. Cleansing the sins of the old life because you are still trying to live the old life and the blood is still working over there. Only thing is that you have to confess. If you confess, he is faithful, the blood of Jesus cleanses you of all unrighteousness. This is constant. This is constant. Why? Because you are still flitting between. So if you go to 1 John chapter 1, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now look at this thing. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We say we have without sin. Because it's not possible. because The soul is still there. If we say we are without sin, you are actually lying because your soul is sinful. The old man. The truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. On the other hand, if we confess, as you hear the word of God and the spirit of God speaks to you and says, see, your soul said this, this is what is true, you are confessing, constantly confessing, yes, Lord. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was. It's a change of mind. I was wrong. That's not that was not true. That was not true. That was not. This is what is true. As this is constantly happening, what is happening is the blood of Jesus is cleansing of all unrighteousness. In the process, you are walking more in the light. You are able to hear God speak more and more and more clearly. The eyes of your understanding is opening. You understand how God functions better and better. All the wisdom in the world, all the training in the world is not going to help you with this. There is only one way. And this is the way of the spirit. It is the spirit who convicts. Spirit who convicts. But with a lot of people, it's not going to bother them at all because they need deliverance. They need deliverance. Because the mind has been taken captive by the devil to do his will. So you can't do anything with them. They need deliverance. They need deliverance. Now we are so visible about the deliverance of bodies. Okay? It's easy. Delivering a body is very easy. Delivering a mind is very difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy. Delivering a body, it is like turning this upside down. Everything inside will come out. Delivering a mind is not possible. Especially when they are not listening. When they are not receiving. Delivering of a mind will only happen this way, I'll tell you. You keep on pouring and receiving the word of God. Keep on pouring, pouring, pouring. Let's say this is black ink, but I'm pouring clear water. The water that spills out will be muddied, muddied, muddied. As you keep on pouring, 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 you will see the color is changing. At some point it will start becoming clear. You know why the mind is changing. But for that you need to do one thing. You have to receive that is why the Bible Jesus said, one thing you learn from me, learn of me, I am meek and lowly. Only the meek he can teach. Only the meek he can lead. So there is an attitude to receive. Attitude to receive. Otherwise you cannot. And this is a choice we can make. Because our will is there. We don't have to understand anything, but we can, we can decide on our attitude. Decide on our attitude. Otherwise what will happen is that our mind will be in bondage for years and years and years and years and years. You may be saved. Like Israel came out of the desert, out of Egypt. Are they saved? Yes. Are they free? No. The minds are not free at all. The minds have been taken over by the bondage of Egypt. Controlled by the thought life of Egypt. Bodies are free. Walking freely in the desert. But minds are not free. But God cannot take them onto the other side until their minds are free. So the actual salvation is the salvation of, of the soul. And the main part over there is the mind. All three have to be sanctified, but first with the mind. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, 411, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Who is that example? The first generation. He says be very very careful to have rest. And Jesus uses two rests over there. All those who are weary and heavy laden come to me. I will give you rest. That's from your sin. That burden is gone. Then he says take my yoke upon yourself. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly. I will give you for your souls. That's the process. You have to be yoked to him. And who is carrying the yoke on your side? It's the spirit of God inside you. Be yoked to him. Be meek. Be lowly. Listen to him. He will take you this process. And as the process you go on, your soul will have more and more and more and more and more. rest. doesn't matter if the problems are there or not. But you have rest. Be diligent to enter into that rest. Because you know, he says, what happened to them. They were saved. But they wasted 40 years in the desert going round and round. In their picture, because God said they would all die in 40 years, they died. In our case, people don't die. People live the same life of 40 years, 50 years, 60 years after their salvation. You look into their lives, nothing has changed. They are just going around in circles because their minds refuse to change. So don't take it as a generation. Take it as your own life. Where was I saved? How long have I been going around in circles? Everything God promised them was on the other side. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Wells you did not dig. Houses you did not build. Don't look at it materially. But he's talking about the, the, the life of Christ. I have come to give you life and life in abundance. But he says you have to cross over. You have to fight for it. You have to change your thinking. But they refused. One generation refused. And most Christians refuse. Refused. But you have to fight. Because you need to realize God is not going to give you what is he has for you unless your mind changes. Because your mind or my mind current as it is of now cannot handle this life cannot handle this life. Simple example. There are babies at the back. Lots of babies at the back. Blow a balloon, which may be one rupee, and take a 2,000 rupees note and give it to them. They will throw the fruit of it, tear it into parts and take the balloon. Why? Because their minds are not able to handle or understand and what is the difference between these two? Do we understand the life of Christ? Do we understand the magnitude of the life of Christ, the power of God's life? He says, that's what I'm giving you and brought you. But he says to handle it, your mind has to change. Mind has to change. And that is the struggle. Because as soon as we get out of from here, or even while sitting here, the thoughts that is going in your mind matters. If it is worldly thoughts and carnal thoughts, and all those things that is going in, it's not going to change. Whether it is good or bad is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is, is it true? No, I am not thinking any bad thoughts. Doesn't matter. Your good thoughts will take you away from your possession. That's how it works. 4.12 For the word of God is living. When the Holy Spirit speaks, not when I speak. But when I speak, you receive the echo in your spirit, the word of God becomes living. What does it do? Powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Even to the division of soul and? It cuts over there. It cuts over there. And suddenly you hear like, this is what God is saying, that is what true, this is what I am thinking, that is false. Cuts. It actually separates the believer which an unbeliever can never experience. It actually separates the believer from self-life and God's life. The soul and the spirit cuts over there and reveals the thoughts and the intents of the heart that even if it cuts there and you say, but God is saying this, I am saying this, we agree. God says, maybe, but your intention is wrong. That is not my intent. That is not my intent. And this is where we struggle because I said two things, three things I said, you know. Think, speak, do. You know that you can think one, you can think one thing and say something else. Or you can think and say in agreement and do something else completely. But that's not Christ. Christ does it, what he thinks, what he says, what he does, agrees with who God is. And the attitude, the reason he does everything is important because he is love. Understand our struggles. Because we don't understand the struggles, we won't fight for these things. So the spirit, this is the new man. This, is the old man. This old man has to be transformed to think like this man. And that is your struggle. All our struggles are there. And Paul is a man who learned this and he understood this. In Galatians 2.20 he will say I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. The simple question is how can Christ actually live in me and through me? If I learn to think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, and do like Jesus in our own particular way. It is not that we all will be similar. We are all dissimilar. We all have different functions. It is like one body, different parts, but it is all functioning according to the head. Though when you see it, even these five fingers don't look the same. They don't even move the same way. Try to bend your... uh, thumb, and the other fingers. You see, they don't even bend the same way. This has only two digits. It has three. Yet, it is all functioning from the same life. There is no discord in it. In the parts of my body, there is no discord with what I think, what I say, and what I do. And when there is a discord, do you know what it is called? It's called sickness. It's called an illness in the body. Because you know what? Your head says, I need to wake up. But your body says, I have fever. And the body of Christ is sick. So the head says one thing. And the body says, we will not do. There is a discord. There is a discord. Now forget the whole body of God. Just go to myself, to yourself. Am I in alignment with my head, which is Christ? So here is a man. Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. He's saying there's no discord between my spirit and my soul. There's no discord. I've reconciled it all. There's no discord at all. So he is at rest. So you can put him before a crowd, you can put him in prison, he's always at rest. That is the key. You can beat him up. Strip him. Throw him in the midnight hour. What is he doing? He is thanking God. He is praising God. You can do, put him in any kind of situation. You will see he operating from rest. You take Jesus, put Jesus into any kind of situation. He operates from rest. Because there is no discord in his spirit and his soul. And his body obeys. Like the example I used yesterday. Jesus gets into the boat. He's very tired. They're going to the other side. He goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. The storm comes. The water fills. Everybody is panicking. And finally they come and shake him. And the words they use are not kind. Don't you care for us? We are sinking. You know what? He goes to sleep in rest. He wakes up in rest. And he says to the wind. He rebukes the wind and speaks to the sea. It's not restless in him. This is the life of Christ. Unless we know theory, we will not know how to practice it. As so we need to know, before we go to the lab, you should have read your text. This is how you read the book of Joshua. You don't read the book of Joshua as an Old Testament text. You read the book of Joshua as a new covenant believer in whom the spirit of God is and says this is the way it is. Then the book of Joshua starts coming alive. It becomes alive. So we have to get the fundamentals. If you are of the flesh, we go to Romans 14 23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not of faith is sin. You should rewrite this sentence. Whatever is of faith is not sin. It is not sin. But then what is it? It is righteousness. So there is a righteousness of God that comes by faith unto faith, unto faith, unto faith. Because where is the origin of your faith? Faith comes from? Hearing from the It's righteousness. It cannot be unrighteous. Because what the Spirit of God has spoken to you and what is confirmed by the outward witness is true. It's not whether it is right or wrong. It is true. It is no longer about good and evil. It is not about right and wrong. The only question is, is it true? That's where we have to learn. That is why God says, don't judge. We have no authority and don't judge because your judgment may be absolutely wrong. Three years, everything we heard in media as Twitter files are coming out, we realized everything was false. Marlaga was raided, Trump should be executed, that's what the media said. Now Biden's garage also secret documents were found. What did Biden say when Trumps was found? How irresponsible. So everything was, was misjudgment because nobody knew what was true. Yet we believed it. There is only one thing that is true. God has spoken. And God says meditate on that. Meditate on me. Meditate on what I have spoken. Meditate on the life of my son. Because that is true what i am trying to make you is not successful or prosperous like in the old covenant because it is irrelevant like the uh, solomon says in the book of proverbs I have seen one thing what is that neither wealth nor crown lasts it lasts does it really last it doesn't go beyond it doesn't it doesn't last generations it doesn't Yet the psalmist says, You, O Lord, has been our dwelling place for generations. There was one thing true about Israel from generation to generation to generation. You know what it was? Yahweh and His promises. So God is not trying to make us prosperous and successful and famous. He is trying to make us true. And if we become true, we are actually successful. Eternally successful. And the battle is in the soul. So the conquest of the promised land is the conquest of my soul and your soul. That is how we read the book of Joshua. It is the promised life, not the promised land. I have come to give you life, and life in abundance. So we are in the flesh. But not in the flesh. In the spirit. We are in the body. Yet in the spirit. That's what the Roman said. We are in a body. But he says, be in the spirit. What does it mean be in the spirit? Listen to him. Listen to the word. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. In John 17, verse 16. Right? 17, 16. I didn't give it. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The simple question is, how is it possible? How is it possible to be in the world and not of the world? Verse 14. One four. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. What will make you and I not of this world? It's our thinking. It's our thinking. How do you know somebody is worldly? Just look at how they think, how they speak, how they do. How do you know somebody is not of this world? If you think, speak, and do like the word which is Jesus. You are not of this world. You are not of this world. So you need to understand how did we become otherworldly Simply by the word. Just as I am not of the world. Even the most religious Jew understood Jesus was not of this world. When Jesus came, he made an app. Absolute clear-cut demarcation between the law and the world. Nicodemus who was a master of the world, a teacher of the law came and said, I know you are of God, meaning you are not of this world. He said, truly, I am not of this world. And you know what takes us, even when we live in this world, it's our thinking. It's our thinking. And God says, that is where we have to change. That is where we have to change. So the book of Joshua, you have to read it, like I, like I keep saying, don't read the Old Testament first, until you have read through the New Testament at least a dozen times. Until it seeps into your bones. Then you read the Old Testament, you will understand it. Otherwise, if you meditate on the Old Testament, what is setting into your bones is the law then when you read the New Testament, you will only see law. But if you meditate upon the New Testament, on Christ over and over again, you read the Old Testament, you will see truth, and you will see grace. Otherwise you will live in bondage. That's why the Bible says, as long as they leave, read Moses, a veil covers their eyes. But when they turn to Christ, the whale is lifted. How do you turn to Christ? Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. That's how it works. So let's go back to Joshua. Chapter 1 and verse 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, no, sorry, chapter 1, verse 2. We leave that two interlude aside. We'll just deal with one, two today. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise. One small word over there called arise. It's a life-changing word. It's a life-changing word. You don't hear that word from God. Not literally that way, but you don't understand what that word means and you don't hear it in your spirit. Your life will never change. You have received the promises of God. It's all with you. You have met God at the altar. Promises has been. You have done all these things, everything. You are living a good, godly, righteous life. Allowing even your nephew to take the first chance. Everything. All good, man. But until you hear that word arise, you will not even know what you are on planet Earth for. What did He save me for? What am I supposed to do? Genesis thirteen seventeen. Arise, arise! How long has he been in the promised land? At least eight, nine, ten years. So many years. He's entered the promised land. Meaning he. It's a picture. He's a man who has who is saved, but he doesn't know what he is doing. And then suddenly God says, Arise and walk the land. Suddenly, purpose is defined. For the next almost 90 years, this is what this man will do. And because God has spoken it, walk the land through its length and breadth, for I give it to you. Because he has heard God speak, and because he believes, and because he obeys, every step he takes is the Spirit of God in him, walking, claiming the land for the Jews forever. It is not an ordinary walk anymore, because you are walking, because you heard in the Spirit, arise and walk. Every step is powerful. Because this old man walked for 100 years in that land, 500 years later, God will tell Joshua, arise. Every step the sole of your foot treads, I give it to you. Why? Because your grandfather walked at my word. It's not an ordinary word. It's not an ordinary word. It's a very powerful word. These are the words we need to realize. These are the words we need to hear, not for your salvation, but for your purpose. Lord, I thank you, you saved me. Thank you, you are Jesus of Nazareth. Thank you. What do I do? What do I do? Go. Wait in the city till we told you. Wow. Papas. Genesis 19 verse 15. The most important words lot will ever here in his life. The morning dawned and the angels urged Lord to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, take your two daughters, who are here, lest you be content. You know, that one word and obedience to that word is between life and death. Literally, life and death. Lord will has never heard before, or after, more important words arise and get out. Take your wife, take your two children, get out. Otherwise you will be consumed. Genesis 21, verse 18. Modern day language, a single mother thrown out. Homeless, we have this scenario all around the world. Millions and millions and millions and millions of homeless mothers. Even yesterday I saw a clip somewhere in the U.S., a homeless mother being host with a, in U.S. by the landlord. The world is full of homeless widows, mothers, single mothers with little children. And they love and die and the children go down. Because they don't hear one word. She's at the verge of desperation, of death, starvation, death, hopelessness. And she hears, Arise. Arise. I'll give you a reason to arise. Your entire life is tied with your child, right? Arise. Lift up the lad with your hand, and I will make him a great nation. Suddenly, everything changes. If there are nations in the Middle East with unparalleled wealth and success which the world has never seen is because a single mother heard the voice of God, arise and hold your son up. She heard, she obeyed. And we have Muslim nations in the Middle East, the Ishmaelites, because one mother heard and believed and obeyed. And you hear from God. And when you believe and you obey, the Power unleashed is the power of God, the power of heaven itself. Arise. Genesis 31, verse 13. Here is a man walking, 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 walking. Terrible master he has, his own father-in-law. Terrible. Morning till night working. Going nowhere. And so many people in their workplaces, in their lives, in their homes have resigned to that fate. 20 years, 30 years simply going around in circles. Conflict in the home, conflict with the landlord, conflict. He has conflict with his boss, with his father-in-law, his conflict in his home, between his wife. Only conflict, and still waking up early in the morning. Unless the Lord wills. Labor in vain. It's way to wake up early in the morning and sit late to the night because the work of your hands, there is no purpose because you haven't heard. And God tells him, arise. Like that, many have to hear, arise. And go what? I'm the God of Bethel. Do You remember? Many, many years ago, you remember your salvation experience where you put your hand up and said, Lord, I believe. Do you remember that? Do you remember? In so many years you haven't heard me speak because you were not interested. Now your back is against the wall. You're living like a slave in your father-in-law's house. I'm the same God who spoke to you then. Arise. Get out of this place. Go to the place I'm telling you. Go. We need to hear. Don't ever assume whatever you are doing, if you haven't heard from God, is that what God wants you to do? Because we have a real, personal, living Savior who will speak to us. Till he speaks to you, keep doing what you are doing. But don't reconcile, this is my fate. This is what this man has reconciled. And God says, arise. He obeys him halfway. It's like a prisoner set free. Goes to a halfway house. That's what they call in the US. Before he's released to the society. So he's still a slave in his mind. Halfway house. He settles in a place near Shechem. The next thing you have is your daughter is violated. Your sons have covered their hands with blood. And all those Gentile nations are mad at you. Why? You only obeyed God Halfway. You arose, but you didn't go where he told you to go. Just very clear. I am the god of Bethel. So where should you go? To Bethel. Did he go to Bethel? No, he didn't go to Bethel. So second time in one. after all the mess is over and all the mess we have done because of our half obedience our half hearted obedience the love of the God of love and mercy and kindness whose mercy we said today endures forever will still come back after your daughter is messed up your sons are messed up your everything is messed up he still comes and says God said to Jacob arise arise because when God comes and speaks, He's always coming to give us a hope and a future and an appointed end. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Who told you to dwell here? Go there and dwell there. That's our God. So he tells Joshua and Joshua one two, arise. Arise. Joshua 1 and verse 2. Arise. Therefore arise, go over this Jordan. You have to cross that river. To cross that river. Cuz everything God has for you is across that river. You have to cross that river. On this side it doesn't matter how green it looks. You will love maybe a good Purpose life. Empty life. And die. But you want to find the life of Christ. The life he promised. It is on the other side of the river. Cross river Jordan. Cross river Jordan. There are battles to be fought. Cities to be won. But. You have to cross over. Otherwise, if you don't cross over, you can look on this side. What is on this side of the river? The wilderness. The wilderness. You eat the same food every day. You may call it manna. And in John six fifty-eight, do you know what Jesus said? John 6, 58. If I am right. John 6. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. You eat and live on manna. You will die. You will die. Oh, I love manna. You will die. Because your fathers ate manna and died. You are supposed to eat the life on the other side of Jordan. This side there may be manna, but everybody who ate manna died without fulfilling their purpose. But he said, there is a living manna. The manna that has come from above. That lives in you, resides in you, who speaks to you and confirms everything that is written in the word about me. He says, live by that. You will not die. You will not die. So many people are used to heaven's entitlement mentality. It is okay in the wilderness. Food is free. Clothes are old. It is okay. As long as it doesn't tear. Old footwear is also fine. But where are you going? In circles. God says, that is not the life I destined for you. I came to set the captives free. He could set them free out of Egypt in one day. In one day, the midnight hour, they walked free out of Egypt. The penalty of sin. But after 40 years, he could not get their Egyptian thinking out of their mind. You win or you lose in your mind. Couldn't get the thinking. That's why we say, you know, you can get the boy out of the jungle. But you cannot get the jungle out of the boy. You can get the boy out of the jungle. That's why we have Mowgli. You bring Mowgli out of the forest and they adopt him. In the morning they go. You can't find him. Where is the boy? Where is the boy? The bed is empty. Where is the boy? They look. He's on the loft. Hanging on it. On that rafter and sleeping. Because that is how he used to sleep in the jungle. On a branch. So you can get the boy out of the jungle. But you can get the jungle out of the boy. But God says you can. The teacher is right there inside. When the spirit of truth comes, he shall teach you but he will not speak about himself he will not speak about you either he will speak about me that's your life when Christ who is your life so the simple thing is that when you hear all these popular TV preachers with millions of subscribers and viewers who are they preaching your best life now so who is you are they talking to? You? Do you know the subtlety, the trap of the word of faith movement? Though much of the things they say is true, there's one trap. They take all the truth of the gospel and direct at the unsaved, unredeemed, unsanctified soul and says, it is all about you. Paul comes around and says to such preachers, no, it is not about me, it is about him. The champion in you. Who is the champion in you? Who is you here? These are famous books. by same famous pastors. Your best life now. Your. So who is you there? So they are using the principles of the kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom of God. Canceling the person of Christ. And feeding the old man. And they come and give their testimony. See, I've confessed, I've claimed, I've proclaimed. Look at my house, look at my car, look at my wealth. Who are you talking about? Whose testimony is that? And you listen to all that and you forward to all your friends. It's not Christ's testimony. There is prosperity in the gospel. But it is not the prosperity gospel. You go to 3rd John verse 4 if I'm right. 3 John verse 4, I didn't give it. 3rd John and verse 4. No, uh 2, 2, verse 2. 3rd John verse 2. Beloved, I pray you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul, your thinking changes. Otherwise, all your prosperity and all your strength will take you down. Because your soul did not prosper. Your soul did not change. They omit this thing. This thing they stop. They don't want that. They don't want to talk about much on the soul. Because it's problematic. Then Joshua will come to the picture with his sword drawn. Joshua will come. Like I said yesterday, you read the book of Joshua. There are certain words missing in that entire book. What are the things You will see no praise. You will say no song. You will not see the word Joshua prayed. What kind of a book is there? There is no prayer. There is no song. There is no worship. There is no praise. There is only one thing written. The man with the sword drawn. Who are you? Jehovah Shabbat, as the captain of the hosts I have come. The Bible says he went on his knees, fell down on his face, worshipped him and asked what does the Lord speak of? That's it. That is the center of the entire conquest. What do you say? What do you say? That's a simple thing. You have to go through line by line by line by line of trying to ask the Lord what are you trying to say here to me? A new covenant person, not an old covenant man under the law. What are you trying to say? 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 Three times, six, seven, eight, nine, three times God will repeat. Be bold, be courageous, be bold, be strong, be courageous, be bold and very courageous. Why is he saying this? Because he knows us. He knows all of us. Why has everybody, even in the secular world, taken such comfortable jobs? Because you are scared of taking risks. Even in the world, only those who take risks have prospered. But life is a risk. Over and over and over and over. Go to one nine. No, 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 no. Joshua, Joshua, don't go into diatrophism. That is another doctrine, the doctrine of diaphragm who kicks everybody out of the church. That is another doctrine. Let us not go into his doctrine. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Three times he tells us to be what? Another time he says, you know what? We need to understand the do's and do not. If you read Corinthians 13, you will see love is, love is not. Love is, love is not. You need to have both. I am only the is and I will not be the not. No, it doesn't work. So here it says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. It's a command. He says, you will never possess the life of Christ if you are afraid. Even if you are the best genuine believer, true son of faith. Faith passed down three generations, which is in you, Timothy, because you are afraid will not become what you are called to become. Nobody has to doubt your ordination. Because you are ordained by my hands. You received an apostolic call through my hands. The call of Jesus Christ. But you are a darbuk. You will go nowhere until you learn to deal with it. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And we are not talking about the worldly fearlessness. We are not talking about that. The reason You are not afraid because your God is with you wherever you go. If you follow what is in eight, you think, you say, you do what he has told you. He will be with you wherever you go. Don't make it unconditional. You don't have to be afraid. But if you don't, you will be afraid and fear will cripple you. Fear cripples people. The first thing God has dealt, he has dealt with fear. The devil has held people bondage by the fear of death. God has I said, I have already taken of death, but you have to deal with fear. I have taken care of death. You handle fear. He doesn't say, I will take, come in and take the fear out. He says, no, you be bold. You don't be afraid. That's my choice. And the choice in the light of this truth. You know what? God is with me. If he said I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you forever. That means I can stand on that promise. He will not leave me. Even if you are a child of God and you fail and you fall in the hands of the enemy. God will hold his nose and still come down to the stinking hole with you. Why? Ask Samson. God came to him in the Philistine camp when he's blind and tied. Because you know what? God is a God of covenant. Even when you are unfaithful, he's still faithful. That is what should give you a boldness to go back. Not on who you are. On who he is. That's where it all begins. The prodigal son came to himself. What does it mean? He started thinking right. He started thinking right. He came to himself. There was nobody to speak to. So he spoke to himself or maybe to the pigs. I will arise. I will go to my father's house. In my father's house. He thought right. He spoke right. Then it is written in verse 20. He arose. Rest is history. Don't worry about what the father will do. Or earthly fathers will do. Don't worry about that. There is something about the heavenly father. Jesus was trying to show. This is what your heavenly father is like. He's not going to come and reveal all your mistakes. He will cover you. Once a son. Always a son. He'll put it back. First thing he does when the son comes back is receiving him and making a very clear distinction between his servants and his son. Son is saying, make me like, he said, what are you talking about? Make you like one of them? Though even though, like Jesus, we have been made a little lower than angels, Paul says, do you not know you are supposed to judge angels one day? The day you are raptured, or the day you reach heaven, you will suddenly realize there is a distinction between you and the angels. You are a child of God. And angels wait on you. are in angels ministering spirits sent to those who are being saved? God says, do you know the truth who you are? Because the truth will set you free. You can go back. You can turn back. You can go back. That's what repentance means. You're turning back. Turn of change of mind, change of direction. But without repenting, you cannot have faith in God. Which is absolute fact. Because if you are going like this, and your destination is there, if you have to go there, you have to turn. And then you have to walk. In the right direction. So God says over and over again, don't be afraid. 365 times theologian says, I never counted it, because if they have counted, why should I waste my time? Don't fear. Every time an angel comes, don't fear. Don't fear. Zachariah, don't fear. Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, fear, don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear.
1: Don't Don't be dismayed.
0: Don't be. That's old covenant. Old covenant, he will tell you not to be dismayed. Why? Because you are fighting physical, real. Visible enemies. New covenant is not like that. New covenant is not like that. You are fighting invisible enemies. So turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9. I didn't give it, I think, but you can turn there. Did I give it? We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. So many things in the new covenant when you are walking in the life of Christ you you don't even understand. You are always confused on what is happening. But you are not in despair. This is not old covenant. You may be despaired. You may be dismayed. But you are not in despair. Because there is somebody inside saying trust me. Trust me. Don't go by the evidence of your eyes or the hearing of your ears. Trust me. Trust me. Don't go by what you see because the things that you see are temporal. The things that you don't see are eternal. Don't get bogged down by your affliction. See it is momentary, not permanent. I haven't seen nor ears heard what God is preparing for those who love him, but revealed it to us by your spirit. You are perplexed, but not in despair. Not in despair. Not in despair. We are talking about real life. The life of Christ Jesus has to be authentic. It can overcome any situation. If you are a believer in, let us say, a prosperous, free country in the West, it should be able to handle the weight of prosperity and be true. If you are living in an underground church, persecuted, beaten, the life of Christ should be able to handle all the horrors of persecution and yet be true. It is true everywhere. In poverty or in prosperity, it is true. So Apostle Paul says, I know how to be abased and to be abound. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. We are not talking here about the law. We are talking about the life of Christ. Can you handle it? God says, you can't, but I can. Any situation, every situation. Paul had the life of Christ to stand between before King Felix and King Agrippa and speak without fear. And he could clap and worship in a prison in chains between among prisoners who were Gentiles. So his location did not matter. The life was always manifested. We are looking for locations to manifest. That's your life, not his life. Because for us, location matters. Then only I can. God says no. That's not how it works. I'm telling you tonight, go back home today. Meditate on Romans chapter 8. It's one of those most powerful chapters in the Bible given by revelation to a man who experienced it. It will change your life if you keep on meditating upon. What is this life in Christ? I will give you one verse. It's powerful before we end. Romans 8 and verse 10 and 11. First 10. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of Righteousness. This is a sinful body. A sinful body. It is dead. And the symptom or the manifestation of death in his, his weakness,
1: tiredness,
0: weariness, all that is there in this body. But this is the same body God is saying, give it to me. I, I, after I was saved, you are saved. He did not give you another body. This is the same body, the body of sin. Body you used and abused misused. You don't have another body to offer to God. God says, give me your body. Lord, here is my body. Weary, tired, wrinkled, abused, abused. God says, give me my body. Now, oh, Lord, use me for your glory, the word leaven says. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. I know what this is because all my life I have experienced it what it is. Tired, weary, you end up somewhere and they say you are the only speaker for the next three days and how long are the sessions? One hour each, how long? From morning 9 to 9. I know what it is for the spirit of God to raise up your mortal babies and give you strength that you can preach practically non-stop for 12 to 14 hours and not miss a word because He's speaking. That's what I said to everything that you see, you have to bring faith in. Don't look at your body. Don't look at your weakness. You say, Lord, this is my body. This is the condition of my body. But it is written. It is written, the spirit of God in him who raised Jesus from the dead will quicken what? Your mortal bodies. When you are tired, when you are weary and you still have tasks to be accomplished and to be finished and you know who you are, why don't you seek the spirit of God? Still remember long, long back, of the very powerful experiences which you will never forget. I was traveling to the other end of Assam near the Burmese border. It was a huge Christmas celebration, town celebration, and I was from another end of the state. They called me to be the speaker. I went by bus, night bus, which I never travel. My head was pounding, pounding. I was feverish. I was, by the time I reached in the, the next day, Evening, meeting is starting. You know how these meetings are. One item after item, 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 item. I saying, Lord, I am shaking. My head is pounding. I feel like throwing up. Finally, after one hour, the program on and of hours, they call me. And I heard the Lord say, we just walk down, get onto to the podium. I went on to the podium. The people left. His head exists. He just left. Then I spoke. I spoke. And I just spoke. And I just spoke. They didn't realize it was he speaking, not me speaking. If the people who don't know Christ will compliment you. Don't get carried away by it because in Hindi you could hear them say, <laughs> What a sherry! Your physical condition does not really matter if you are on God's way. Teach me your ways. One prayer that old man prayed at eighty-three or eighty-one or eighty—that is Moses. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you a rest. Wow. Forty years he walked with God. Presence was there. He had rest. You should read the last chapter of Deuteronomy 34. Let's read it and close it for today. Powerful chapters of New Covenant pictures. Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. Who do I have here? Hey, come Harry, you are anyway in the drumming. Come here, we'll do something other than drumming here. This is Moses, okay? Okay, so You stand on this side. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah which is across Jericho. Imagine you are Israel. You are Israel. The heart is breaking. He said, bye. Nobody can come with me. I'm going alone. The heart is breaking. And they are watching him. They can only see one man. But there are two people walking. It's not one man. There are two people walking. It's Moses and Christ. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. All Naphtali, land of Ephraim, Manasseh, land of Judah as far as the western sea. Then come three, four quickly. The south, the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zohar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes but you shall not cross over. Because you disobeyed. me. said you cannot cross over but I did not tell you you cannot see. See, take a good look. I'm going to make you see more than any man has ever seen with his physical eyes. You can see the end of Israel's territory. See it all. See it all, see it all, see it all. See it all. Of course, shall not cross over. And verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him. He is the only man ever in human history buried by God. The grave cannot be found. The reward of walking with God. Faithfulness. Holy man, yes. And the next verse. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished because the Spirit of God was quickening him daily because the presence of God was with him. He died well, he died strong. What I'm telling you is don't look at the condition of your body. Look at what is written and say, Lord, I believe. I will not die before my time. I will run my race. I will finish my task because the God of Moses is my God. Do you see these glasses? Do you see these glasses? been wearing it for almost 10 years. Do you know what I pray over my eyes every day? Lord, one day I believe. I'll take this off and I'll be able to read it. I don't quit these things. I don't take anything in my body as a sickness for granted. I do not take it. I'll always say, Lord, one day, and you know, once in a while I try to read. One day it will happen. One day it will happen. One day it will happen. One day I will take off my glass and I will realize I can read. I can read. You know why? Because I believe all things are possible with God. I believe. When it comes to sickness, I believe he bore my sickness and my infirmities upon himself. And by faith we will receive his strength. Shall we stand? Father, this morning we come to you. We come to you, the author of life. You came to give us life. When there is an ocean of life there, We are just satisfied with trickles and droplets. Oh Lord, touch us. Touch, touch, touch. Let doubt and unbelief go far. Our first battle is against fear, doubt and unbelief. And I pray Lord, none of us including me standing here will ever stop fighting fear, doubt and unbelief. He will keep fighting it. Until we are bold and courageous. We'll keep fighting it that every ounce of doubt in every area is gone. That Until we learn to think like Christ think Not because of what we want. But we will know what you want for us. We don't want anything outside your will. For your will, we understand, is perfect. We can never go beyond God's perfect will. That is the best we can ever have. But Lord... I pray each one will determine in their hearts. I want that. The perfect will of God for me. Whether it is in a palace. Or whether it is in a prison. I want that. And I will not Lord die. Beneath it. Behind it. That we too should be able to say. I finish my race. And What I see. Is the crown of righteousness. The completion of faith. The fulfillment of righteousness each one's life. Let faith continue to arise. And be strengthened. In each one oh Lord. Teach us to think like you. To speak like you. To act like you. So that we can be true witnesses. In this world. Not us. But you. Thank you Father. Thank you Lord. Thank you. Let each one go in peace, at rest, believing God spoke to me today. Through Christ, I can do all things. I can, through Christ, all things. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.